Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Wednesday, the 12th of May, and this will be one big budget explainer. Annika Smithhurst is here. Annika, you spent seven hours going through hundreds of pages of the budget yesterday, one of the first journalists to actually see what's in the budget. We've pulled you out from under a huge pile of those papers this morning. (laughs) How was it yesterday? What did you make of the budget? What was your one key observation, if you could have just one? It's always pretty fun being in there and getting to see what they're going to spend it on. Uh, My overall observation, there's so much in it, so Mm. it feels very hard to do that, but it is more of a Labor budget than you would see from a coalition government. Now, I think that's because of circumstances. We're in a global pandemic. Big spending on social areas like mental health and aged care and childcare, which usually Liberal governments don't like to do. It's usually something we see more from Labor governments and there was very little focus on how we're getting ourselves out of this spendathon. But desperate times call for desperate measures and I think it looks a little bit pre-election budget too. (laughs) So I don't think we'll see another budget before we go to the polls. Right, all right. We'll pick that all apart over the course of this episode as we do this special budget explainer. Let's get into our news headlines first, of course, starting with some of the key moments and announcements from last night's budget. Last night, Treasurer Josh Frydenberg handed down the 2021 budget in Parliament with a triumphant rallying call around COVID recovery. Australia is coming back. In the face of a once in a century pandemic, the Australian spirit has shone through. Doctors and nurses on the front line, teachers and students in the virtual classroom, businesses big and small keeping the economy moving. Team Australia at its best. It was really rousing stuff, wasn't it? (laughs) Kind of like a footy pep talk. (laughs) Yeah, his poor little kids were sitting there pretty bored too. (laughs) Sorry, Frydenberg kids. Yeah, so he went big at the start and then got into the detail on um, the budget and how much we were spending. The big figure is that we'll be $106 billion in deficit this year. So they're spending a lot more than they'll be collecting in taxes. Yeah, deficits will slowly be wound back over the next four years. But this budget didn't say very much about how to get back into surplus and how we start paying down that debt. Yeah, so that's a big cost on future generations, young people. Um, In terms of the big key spending items, infrastructure, aged care, mental health, women's safety and childcare were some of the biggest winners in the budget. The federal government are pouring $110 billion into infrastructure projects over the next 10 years, which will include big road and public transport initiatives in all states and territories. And there is $17 billion to fix the aged care sector. We are committed to restoring trust in the system and allowing Australians to age with dignity and respect. And the Treasurer also pledged $2.3 billion in new mental health funding. More headspace centres to support more young Australians. Expanding this model to those aged over 25 with a new Head to Health national network of 40 centres. Increased funding for the treatment of people with eating disorders. Greater access to psychiatrists, psychologists and GPs through Medicare. There was also $3.4 billion for women's economic security and safety. We know the government have had a little bit of trouble with women recently. Mm. Some of that did include childcare, though, which I would argue isn't just a women's issue, but that's for the government to try and fight today. Look, there's a range of spending aimed at creating more than 250,000 jobs in the next few years. 
and a tax cut of just over $1,000 for low- and middle-income workers. And let's get some reactions. Um, Chris Richardson, who's an economist from Access Economics, uh, he was pretty positive about the budget. The fight against COVID is becoming, in particular, a fight against unemployment. Now, that's the correct economic uh, priority. But it also lines up with other things. You know, there was a policy priority, uh, a need to spend more on the likes of aged care and other social programs, and, of course, the ever-present political priority. Uh, but broadly, doing the right thing on the economy has been doing the right thing on policy, you know, aged care and the job creation potential there, and the politics lining up as well. Other economists, particularly those uh, involved in employing people, criticise the budget for not getting foreign workers back into the country quick enough. Yeah, that's an interesting point, isn't it? Um, There was a lot about training and, you know, getting Australians into work, but that won't happen very quickly for those businesses crying out for workers. Yeah, and it's not predicted that the borders will open to at least mid-2022, but we don't even know what that'll look like. So it's not like everybody's going to be flooding back in and filling those job shortages we're having. Yeah, so that was one of the key assumptions underpinning the budget about, you know, when we'll reopen. And I think uh, some people were disappointed to see that that was the assumption they were working off, that it wouldn't be till the middle of next year that we'd be reopening to any significant degree. Yeah, and I hate to tell people, but last year's budget predicted the borders would already be open. So the government don't have a great track record on that. Labor um, had a bit of a tough time, I think, criticising this budget because there was so much spending in areas that they would normally prioritise. Here's the Shadow Treasurer, Jim Chalmers. We've said for some time that part of the task here is to get closer uh, to full employment, whether that's four or four and a half percent, whatever the economic consensus is. But there's a bigger story there as well, and that's underemployment. Uh, And that's been a problem in this economy for eight long years of this coalition government. If you don't address underemployment, you won't get uh, people back into work sufficiently to get those wages growing again. Wages growth has been uh, missing from the economy for eight long years and the budget today actually has real wages going backwards. Despite $100 billion in new spending and a trillion dollars in debt, I think that's an admission of failure. Do you think that'll really cut through? Because I imagine a lot of these measures really will give wage growth a good chance of going up. I think wage growth is the one area where I guess they have a little bit of a good track record because it's been so sluggish recently and it doesn't look like it's going to get that much better. I don't know whether people are that worried about it, given we have jobs compared to the Mm. rest of the world, and this is about job creation. And as well, as we said, it's a big spending budget on social issues, which is usually something Labor are pretty good at. So it was pretty difficult for Labor to criticise. We've seen Anthony Albanese in the lead up to this. He predicted that this is something the government would do, spend in areas they're usually good at. So he just sort of went with... It's like a show bag. It's like Christmas (laughs) presents. It comes and goes in one day. You get all this stuff and then it goes away. So he's sort of saying, they're going to give you stuff. Just don't believe them. Just an interesting line, but they've got to do something. Well, he'll give his speech tomorrow night. Hopefully his um, speech writers have had a chance to come up with some new things because I don't think that line was too great, (laughs) although we have remembered it. We are still talking about it. Um, More budget analysis coming up in our briefing. Um, First, here are some other big stories making news. Melbourne is on edge after a man who caught COVID in hotel quarantine in South Australia was active in the community. It's absolutely the case that he's he's picked it up in quarantine in South Australia. That's Victoria's Chief Medical Officer Brett Sutton speaking there. Uh, the man had arrived from India and it's believed he caught COVID from another person in his Adelaide quarantine hotel right before he left for Melbourne. Uh, he arrived in Melbourne last week 
And, um, yeah, they've issued alerts for eight possible exposure sites visited by the man. Speaking yesterday, Victorian Health Minister Martin Foley invoked the budget in calling for better quarantine facilities. This evening's national budget is a golden opportunity for the Commonwealth to step up and fund with the states broadacre quarantine facilities. And they didn't step up, as Martin Foley was calling for. That surprised me. I thought, you know, there was so much spending in last night's budget that that could have been one area, given that getting workers back into the country, for example, will be a key part of our economic growth. And the World Health Organization's issued a global warning about the mutant COVID strain coming from India. There is some available information to suggest increased transmissibility of B1617. And as such, we are classifying this as a variant of concern at the global level. Maria Van Kerkhov from the World Health Organization speaking there. The Global Health Agency says research shows the B1617 strain of the virus is spreading more quickly than other variants and may be resistant to some vaccines. Yeah, this comes as we see more confronting footage out of India of... um, bloated and partly burned bodies washing up in uh, the Ganges River, just horrifying. They even hit the horrifying total of 4,000 deaths a day recently. Um, They've been averaging around 3,000, so that dire situation continues there. New South Wales farmers have asked the state government for more help in fighting a mouse plague in the state's west. This is far bigger than anyone in the city can realise. That's uh, New South Wales MP for Barwon, Roy Butler, speaking there. Representatives from farmers groups and the Country Women's Association travelled to State Parliament yesterday in Sydney to call for $25,000 tax rebates to help property owners who are overrun by mice. I have not been over to watch this footage, Tom. It's disgusting. The scenes of hordes of rodents plaguing homes and properties have been playing out for weeks and farmers are now concerned freshly planted winter crops just won't survive. Yeah, I saw last night, you see a tractor drive into um, a whole bunch of hay bales, picks up a hay bale and underneath are just thousands of mice just running all over. You see like farmers driving along the road at night and just the road is almost completely covered in mice running. So it'll be interesting to see what they do, um, how that changes going into winter as well. I know the main breeding season for mice is in September. So (laughs) September is going to start getting worse even again. So yeah, crazy scenes there. In just a moment, we go even deeper on the budget and work out what's in it for you. Okay, time for our budget briefing explainer. You're going to hear a lot about the budget today. So we want to tell you how this budget will actually affect you. Mr Speaker, the jobs are coming back. The economy is coming back. Australia is coming back. And this budget will ensure we come back even stronger and ensure that we secure Australia's economic recovery. I commend the budget to the House. That was the Treasurer bringing home the message from the dispatch box last night in Parliament House. It was a big spending budget, no tough cuts, um, money for almost everybody. Uh, Annika, let's get back to basics on this. What actually is the budget? How would you explain it? 
So every year uh, in about May, it has moved around a little bit. It was in October last year, but traditionally it's uh, early May. The government released their spending over the next four years, which is what we call the forward estimates. So when you hear them talk about spending money over the forward estimates, that is actually four years. They also give predictions over 10 years, but it's kind of like we might change governments between then. We're not sure what's happened. There could be another global pandemic. Who knows? So we kind of work on that four-year basis. Now, a lot of the spending is just continued spending. So when you look at the budget and they carve it up, it's all the money we give them through income tax or tax on our super or customs duties or fuel excise. And the way they tax us every day gets put in a big pool and then they carve it up. And if you look at it roughly, and this doesn't change too much between governments, social services, so money for welfare or disability support or Centrelink, things you get out of Centrelink, takes up about a third of it. Mm. Um, that's the biggest spending. Health is usually the next big one. That's around 20%. Then there's tiny little bits for things like education, defence, public spending on services. So really the majority, if you look at more than half of it, is spent on social security payments and healthcare. Yeah. So as I mentioned at the top, there were no um, massive cuts and there was also no, in the forward estimates, path to surplus. We're going to keep spending more than we bring in for the next four years. Did it surprise you that there wasn't any more focus on when we'll start to pay back the debt? A little bit. Look, I think given the times we're in, every government's a little bit off the hook. Now, the coalition are in a bit of a sticky situation here because if we go back to the global financial crisis, they were really critical of the Labor government when they went on a bit of a spendathon. Now, to put this in perspective, if that was a spendathon, this is just money for everybody. Next level. Yeah, it is out of control. So they're getting a lot of slack for that. Um, I can understand that and they should be held to account at the same time this is an unprecedented situation, so was the global financial crisis, but uh, this is sort of next level realms. Um, we didn't get hit by that quite as much. So their theory is we're going on a spending splurge, $74.6 billion to be spent on social services and, and things to support mental health and aged care and childcare. And that's usually a real labour way to do things, spend on services. But the government's hoping by doing that, they will create 250,000 new jobs in two years. Now, that means more income tax, which equals more money for the government. So they're hoping to spend their way out of this crisis as opposed to cut services and cutting things that they're spending money on. Okay. So when you put that in context of what does the budget mean for you and particularly for, you know, young listeners to the briefing, this means that will be picking up the tab for a lot of this spending for many years to come. Correct. And people often vote on the economy when it comes to the election. During non-election cycles, there's a lot of other issues that come into the fore. But Tom, you know this as much yep. as anyone. We talk about it a lot. It comes down to purse strings and that's how people vote. Now, young people usually don't care about debt and deficit. They care about wonderful things like climate change. Life. And life mm. and wanting to have a clean and lovely world to live in. But as you get older, usually uh, you become a bit more aware of how much tax you pay and those things are usually uh, what affects other people. So I don't think they'll actually wear much political pain for the fact that people under 35 are going to be paying this off for a long time. I think if a baby is born today, they will be paying this off for basically their first 30 years of working. Wow. So do you think it'll be at least 10 years before the budget goes back into the black? 
there were some predictions. Now, as I say, with 10-year forecasts, we take them with a grain of salt. Mm. One, because we could change governments multiple times between then. But there is no path back within four years, that's for sure. Um, by 10 years, it's looking a lot better. Sort of the uh, deficits we're perhaps used to, not these mega ones that we're seeing at the moment. All right. Speaking of economic issues that do affect young people, one thing that is kind of driving people crazy at the moment are house prices. Um, Housing affordability is becoming kind of frightening again for young people trying to crack into the markets, even in regional areas now, as more people from the cities have moved out. There were some announcements for first home buyers. Talk us through those. Yeah, this is something that um, all governments have to grapple with. Uh, A lot of it's about supply, which is a real state or council issue, but there are things the federal government can do. We know they've been under pressure to get rid of some of those schemes that help out boomers. That's like negative gearing and capital gains, but they didn't touch that. There are some initiatives though. Earlier in the week, they announced a single parent initiative, which means single parents will be able to enter the property market with just a 2% deposit. So they will have, I guess, a lower benchmark to what other people need, which accounts for the fact there's only one parent paying it off in that area. They're also extending two really popular schemes from last year that people might be familiar with. One is the Home Super Saver Scheme, which allows you to put money into your super to save for a deposit and then you get to take it out. So you can do that up to $50,000. There's also a first home loan deposit scheme, which allows you to get a deposit with just a a 5% deposit from the government and they act as guarantor for the remaining 15%. They've opened that up again with another 10,000 places. They were hugely popular last time. So if you want to do that, get in quickly. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about women's safety measures. Tonight, we invest a further $1.1 billion in women's safety, delivering more emergency accommodation, more legal assistance, more counselling, more financial support, including cash payments for those escaping abusive relationships. So that was pitched as part of a a broader spending package, um, not just for women's safety, but also women's economic security. The total figure was $3.4 but a lot of people were critical saying, well, that included childcare, which is something that, you know, it's not just a women's (laughs) issue. Yeah, I think the government are going to have a little bit of trouble with selling that one because, you know what, when you send your kids to childcare... It allows both mum and dad to go to work and they're both paying for it. So, look, it is good. I'm not saying that putting money into childcare isn't a good thing, but to frame it as just part of the ladies' budget, I think, is a little bit problematic, especially given some of the problems this government has had with women recently. But, look, I think, unfortunately, this might have been um, a political fix. The government has been under pressure in this area, but we'll take it. (laughs) You know, ladies have been left off for a long time when it comes to the budget. So there's a lot more money for screening for things like cervical cancer, endometriosis, reproductive health. Um, There's money for mental health of women, for Mm. new mums, things like this. So there was a a specific document attached to this, which um, the government were meant to do a few years ago under Abbott and it was dropped and specifically saying how this package is going to be better for women. And I think It's not perfect, but it's a really good start. All right, before we finish, let's just focus for a moment on the personalities and the politics of this. Josh Frydenberg seemed to give a very strong performance, a very hardworking, focused treasurer. 
He doesn't seem to have any of the the sort of hubris that I would say some of his, his the former treasurers have had, like Joe Hockey, for example, who at this time when he did um, his 2014 <laughs> budget was sort of caught smoking a cigar and and sort of backed up and, and fought back on some of the ideological points. Frydenberg just seems to get on with business. Yeah, I think any treasurer that comes in after Joe Hockey is in a good position because that's usually used as a benchmark. Um, and that was a pretty... Um, terrible budget, which they admit now and hurt the government for many years. Look, Josh Frydenberg um, is somebody I would say, whatever your politics is, you want politicians that work hard and Labor know this too. He's one of the hardest working people uh, to the point that your phone, my phone or politicians' phones will ring with Josh at the other end from about 6am to about 11pm at night. He does not stop. A lot of that is about charming the media. Um, he's something that he's very good at that. Uh, but it doesn't mean he doesn't do the other stuff to back it up. And even his critics will say he's a real hard worker. Uh, I think that's been shown in this budget and probably likely to be prime minister or at least leader at some point in the future. Wow, big call. And for Labor, it really seems like they're going to have trouble cutting through. Yeah, look, they're in an okay position um, because the government have weaknesses in other areas. Obviously, we know uh, the women's issue has been a huge problem. Um, they're making a little bit of ground on climate change too in certain of areas. There's also been some personality problems in the coalition in, in different seats. So we've seen Lamingo and, and Craig Kelly and they've got they're really focused on, you know, one by one pitting off the government and picking those seats apart. They don't have much of a majority, the coalition. So um, I think Labor's strategy is smart, uh, but we do know in times like this, in a pandemic, uh, you'd prefer to be the guys in power than the opposition at any level. Just to clarify, you're expecting the election will be probably early next year, which means this will be the last budget before the election? There was a tiny little bit in yesterday's budget, which we always look for, and it's called Decisions Taken, Not Announced. $9.5 billion was allocated to decisions that have been taken that aren't announced. Now, you only do that if you want to go to an election because you've got a lot of spending you want to do. Also, it was a huge spendathon. Why would you not go to the election off the back of this? Now, that doesn't mean it's going to be next week. I think maybe late this year, but probably early next year uh, because eventually they're going to have to start to cut things. So they don't want to go to an election after that. All right. Well, you'd have a, a good insight as many a journalist. So um, great to get your analysis and great that we had you in the lockup going through those mountains of paper yesterday. Um, thank you for listening to this special budget episode of The Briefing. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Listener.